0: It's the <laughs> podcast ghost.
1: All right, Todd, t- t- tell us again. How about you want you and Will Smith to survive the apocalypse? everyone, and welcome to The Protagonist Podcast. I'm Joseph Jarowski, here with Todd Mack, and each week we look at a great character in a great story. Today we're talking about Henry Bemis from the 1959 episode of The Twilight Zone titled, Time Enough at Last. This is the eighth episode from the first season, and was written by Rod Serling, based on a story by Lynn Venable, and was directed by John Bram. Uh, Bemis is played by Burgess Meredith, who you may know as the Penguin from the 1960s Batman TV show, or as Mickey from The Rocky Films
0: That just blows, the that Rocky blows my, films, my mind.
1: Just just some of the Rocky films. That
0: blows my mind that that's that that's him. I Yeah, it's a lot of very different roles. Yeah, I'm having a really hard time making that connection in my brain. But I'll trust you. And the IMDb. Yes. So Time Enough at Last is one of the most popular episodes of the Twilight Zone. Um, it's almost always ranked number one in fan polls and other... Polls. I don't know if there are other polls, <laughs> like not fan polls, um, critic polls, maybe critic polls. Uh, anyway, it's always at the top of best episodes of the 156 uh, original original episodes of the series, and it's reportedly one of uh, serling's two favorite episodes. The other being the Invaders. Uh, so, Joseph, how did you come to to the work?
1: I kind of have always known about the Twilight Zone. I'm guessing that's because of my dad. Oh uh, I can't, yeah. it's one of those, like, I can't think when I first actually knew like the do, 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 uh-huh. or a reference to the Twilight Zone. I don't know when I didn't know that. And so I'm assuming it's because my dad liked the Twilight Zone that I, I was aware of it. And I remember when the sci-fi channel first became a thing that they would have <laughs> marathons of the Twilight Zone and I would watch a lot of those. And I think sometimes they did them ranked and that was probably one of the times that they were doing them ranked as, you know, classic episodes of it that I first watched timing enough at last. Probably was when I was a teenager, or or, yeah, in that range. What about you? I was always
0: terrified of the Twilight Zone, like you. I it's hard for me to remember a time before I knew the music or kind of knew what it was, but it always felt like kind of forbidden to me. Like I was very uh, sensitive as a child, (laughs) as I still am.
1: And uh, I think our podcast listeners are
0: coming to know that, Todd. (laughs) Anyway, I was just—I was terrified of the Twilight Zone. I never watched an episode all the way through. I have very vague, vague memories of seeing small clips of the Twilight Zone and then just being horrified. Uh, so I did not—I did not uh, voluntarily watch the Twilight Zone until you showed me an episode, probably in high school or co- early college. I bet it was early college, and we watched the episode. How to serve man or to serve man, uh, which is another really really good episode, and uh,
1: our, pr- our producer Andrew is shaking his head at the reference to to serve man. I I, I will tell a story
2: in a minute when Todd's done.
1: <laughs> I heard that sigh, like I thought,
0: man. I across I,
2: continents. I, you heard <laughs> that I know, sigh. I did. <laughs> yes, I did.
0: <laughs> across the vast expanse of the ocean, I hear Andrew sigh. Um, I really liked it. Uh, and then I was hoping to teach – so when I teach a short story, I like to start by showing an episode, some uh, like a nice self-contained TV episode, which is basically just a well-written short story. And so I was looking at episodes of Twilight Zone, and I saw that this was ranked number one, and I decided to show it to my students. And now um, it's one that I show pretty much every time I uh, teach intro to literature – to introduce a short story.
2: With wait, wait, this episode?
0: Uh, yeah, to, uh, time enough at last. I sometimes I'll go back to to sort of man because it's just so uh, great. But man, there's a lot to talk about with this one. So.
1: Uh, and I know we've we've said we have a lot of things we want to get to, so it's rare that we'll double dip into a TV series. But I reserve the right to always go back to Twilight Zone. Yes, it's an anthology.
2: It's not <laughs> the same characters. It's always going to be a different story. That's different true. Characters. It's, it's really just a, a format that you would be, um, double dipping into. It's, it's well, and a, and a tone.
0: Are they all, are they all generally written by Serling?
1: He wrote a phenomenal number of these. Um, often they were based on stories that had been published in pulp magazines or other sci-fi, uh, magazines before. Uh, but he would do the screenplays for a huge number. I can, uh, well, Andrew tells a story. I will look into this, and I will come back with a fact for you.
2: <laughs> a I'll, I'll, I'll tell the story. So, for all I know, this may have been the same time when you were seeing "To Serve Man." I remember, as you know, in in our house, we watched "To Serve Man." Not our parents, just the siblings, and maybe you were there, Todd. I can't I can't remember specifically, but it would have been around the right time for it. I was like eight years old and I assured Joseph that I could handle it. And we watched To Serve Man and I did not sleep that night. <laughs> <laughs> Nor did I sleep the following night. And That's so funny. it instilled in me a recognition of the Twilight Zone as the single most terrifying thing I could See, possibly right? experience. Right? As because a kid? I, I I love Edgar Allan Poe. I love Hawthorne, I love Lovecraft. I can even do 50s movies like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is one plot twist away from an episode of Twilight Zone. Uh-huh. And it's I, and I'm totally fine with it and I love it and it's great. And then I watch Twilight Zone and I'm just sitting there, whew, is is no one else getting stressed out by this? <laughs> oh man. Like it's it's just going to end badly and it's just the mind terror of of not having an enemy. To defeat, it's all in someone else, someone's mind, and and there's nothing. And there was an episode that deals with a power outage, and I watched that, and then there was a power outage in our house, (laughs) and it was the worst. And I was in college, and like I I can handle this, but no, we watched an episode, there's power outage, and that was a a big point in it, and then we had a power outage, and it was a rough night. I and was- every time I watch the Twilight Zone, it's a rough night. So I didn't watch this episode knowing I wanted to be able to sleep at night. <laughs> All right. While Andrew was telling that story, I was uh, perusing the recesses of my mind, and
1: I stumbled across a, pa- a fact here. Perusing uh, the recesses? Sirling- is, is, is that what we call it now? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh Serling wrote or adapted 99 of the 156 Twilight Zone episodes.
0: Wow. And is there a voiceover on every single one of them?
1: Yes, he does do an introduction, I'm pretty sure, to every single one. And in fact, there's even one that is an adaptation of an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, classic short story that was actually a French short, short film that The Twilight Zone bought the rights to air in the U.S. And even on that one, even though the production was entirely done you know, on this other country and they bought a finished product, he does an introduction and, uh, <laughs> and an outro. Cool.
0: Well, after Andrew's story, I feel totally justified in my terror... Uh and my fear of Twilight Zone as a kid and I'm glad that I didn't watch any episodes until I was in college (laughs) I was thinking about showing Kimball watching this with Kimball yesterday and I thought I think I'm not going to watch this one with Kimball
1: my my Daughter Lizzie, she always asks to watch scary shows. And so I was thinking, maybe I could watch some Twilight Zone with her. Like she, oh yeah, she wants to watch it. Are you afraid of the dark? Like the old Nickelodeon <laughs> <laughs>
2: <Seriously>. <laughs>
1: And I've watched a couple with her, and you know they're they're not very scary, but she really likes to watch them. But I always make sure, I, like I won't let her watch the scary. You know, what are to her the scary shows alone yet? But maybe maybe
2: there's some Twilight Zones I could pull in. Now, do you think you'll graduate to Goosebumps at some point? Or, I don't know. Is, is that a graduation <laughs> from Are You Afraid of the Dark? Maybe I should, as a short story, I
1: read her the uh, the original To Serve Man short story as a bedtime story one night. Wow! <laughs> she asked, and it was it was in part of a collection of short stories.
0: Wow! Your child is very different from mine. Mine. <clears throat>
1: <laughs> so maybe I could show her that 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 adaptation. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, let me give a quick synopsis of this particular Twilight Zone episode before we go into the more uh, spoilery synopsis. So, basically, we have a man who is obsessed with the idea of reading, but no one around him lets him actually take the time to read uh meaning at work he tries to kind of read under his desk and his boss chews him out for it and at home his wife doesn't want him reading uh at all and she actually will you know take his books away because she wants his attention she wants him to be doing exactly what she wants him to do uh and not reading on his own time so uh this is a story about this man and kind of his quest to be able to read so, if that sounds interesting, <laughs> you should go find this episode of the Twilight Zone. I mean, that's really basically the the seed of the story we're dealing with. You almost uh, just did all the whole of the Twilight thing. Zone. <laughs> yeah, uh, all of the Twilight Zone is available on Netflix, and Todd, because Netflix is not available in Spain, I believe you may have found out that this is available on YouTube as well. If
0: you are living overseas, there is you can watch it on YouTube, but the quality is horrible. <laughs> so. It's like it's like uh, cropped, so so you oh. don't actually get to see the whole thing. Just part of it, but that's okay if you've seen it uh, multiple times as I have. Then it's just a good uh, reminder. Your your brain will fill in the rest. I wouldn't recommend the YouTube version as the first time you watch it, though.
2: But it is the there. Netflix one looked really nice. So yes, go that route.
0: I miss Netflix.
2: And I, I think Sci Fi Channel still does an annual. Uh, maybe a countdown, not not the full 156, but I think it's on New Year's. Yeah, New Year's Eve. I think they do it. Uh, you know, the 24-hour kind of marathon. So if you want to just set your ring TV in to the record new that, yeah.
1: <laughs> just ring in the New Year by watching Twilight Zones. They're only 20 minutes long. To, if you need a way to not sleep that night, it is amazing how much story they are able to pack into just 20 minutes.
0: I'm blown away.
1: I think yeah, it's- not. I mean, this one has. This one doesn't have the most twists and turns, but some of the other, uh, episodes, they really are dealing with quite a few characters and quite a few motivations that all intersect. And they, they lay it all out in 20 minutes in a way that's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah. I haven't seen tons of episodes of, of Twilight Zone, but, um, but man, this one's good. All right. Are you ready for this? Are you, Todd? Uh, I am. I think I, um, I haven't timed this one. I would not be surprised if it's longer than, um, than our... (laughs)
1: How could this one be longer than Ender's Game? (laughs) It's a 22-minute episode.
0: Because I wrote it at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I didn't didn't time it. So here we go. Fair fair enough. Okay, this is me doing a little stretch. Ready, set, go. Uh, Time Enough at Last begins with this voiceover. Witness Mr. Henry Bemis, a charter member in the fraternity of dreamers, a bookish little man whose passion is the printed page, but who is conspired against by a bank president and a wife. And a world full of tongue cluckers and the unrelenting hands of a clock. But in just a minute, Mr. Bemis will enter a world without bank presidents or wives or clocks or anything else. He'll have a world all to himself without anyone. Close quote. As the story begins, uh, Bemis is reading David Copperfield. Uh, He's sitting in his little bank telling window. uh, And there's a client that needs his help. Uh, he talks to her about all the interesting names of the characters in the story and miscounts her money. She's very angry at him. Later, Henry's boss uh, calls Henry into his office and chews him out, telling him that he needs to stop reading on the job. He accuses Henry of being a reader, uh, a reader of books, uh, and, and that has to stop. Uh, Henry complains that his wife won't let him read at home, and Henry's boss uh, praises his uh, Henry's wife for her wisdom. Uh, we get a cut. And now we're in Henry's home. His wife complains to him that he has lost the art of conversation. She informs him that they're going out. He sneaks a little book into his jacket pocket, but the wife finds him out. It's a book of poetry, and then she asks him – this is so cruel – she asks him to read some to her, and he's very excited, and then he opens up the book and realizes that she's inked out all the words on all the pages, and he's very sad. He asks her why she did it. She tells him it's doggerel, and uh, and then she tears out all the pages <laughs> of the book, And there we have a a new scene. He's back at work, uh, and Henry locks himself into the bank vault to read during his lunch break. Uh, He looks at a newspaper that says, H-bomb capable of total destruction. Just then, Henry's watch face shatters. There's a loud explosion, and Henry's knocked out. When he wakes up, Henry is temporarily blind because his glasses have fallen down from his eyes. He puts them on straight and finds out that his world has been destroyed. He hears his boss's voice, but realizes it's just a dictaphone. I think that's what we call that little...
1: i believe so I'm, i'm i'm willing to go with it
0: uh he wanders around the ruined city and comes to realize that everyone is dead he wonders at this point if he even wants to be alive uh and then but then there's an abundance of food enough to last for years so he decides to try to make himself comfortable but he's overcome by loneliness uh he takes his glasses off and falls to sleep when he wakes up again we see that he's temporarily blind again until he puts his glasses back on He finds a car, but it doesn't start. He becomes desperate. He starts to call out for help. Then he decides that he's uh, not lonely, but just has solitude. Uh, Just what he always wanted. He panics, uh, but then he panics and calls out for help. In an old store, he finds a loaded pistol and contemplates suicide. Uh, He expresses concern about loneliness and the sameness of it all. If there were only something to do, 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 he says um and then just as he's about to pull the trigger into his life he looks up he sees a library the front steps of this library are covered with books uh, all of henry's favorites all the books he could ever want he gleefully stacks them by month knowing that finally he'll have uh, all the time to read the uh, without interruption time enough at last and as he bends over to pick up one of the books his glasses fall off and he crushes them leaving himself as we have already seen almost totally blind completely unable to read henry complains it's not fair there was time. It's not fair. The show ends with another famous voiceover, which is this. The best laid plans of mice and men and Henry Bemis, the small man in the glasses who wanted nothing but time. Henry Bemis, now just part of a smashed landscape, just a piece of the rubble, just a fragment of what man has deeded to himself. Mr. Henry Bemis in the Twilight Zone. Close
2: quote. How was well done, that? Those four minutes. All right.
1: <laughs> uh, I think we need to make clear these glasses that this man is wearing. They are not the kind of glasses he could just wander around and find another pair. <laughs> right. <laughs> they are huge and they distort his eyes when he's looking for, uh, through them. So when they crack, that was probably the only pair that was his prescription left on earth. Yeah. So when I, when I use this, uh,
0: this show to introduce a short story of it's usually towards the end of the semester where I've been teaching my students about being good letter, literary detectives and kind of, developing that the sense of being able to recognize when something is important and you can just freeze the frame. The first time Bemis is introduced and say, what is important about this guy? And every single person will say his glasses because they uh, distort his eyes so much.
1: Yeah. And throughout the episode, they kind of have moments where your, your attention is drawn to the glasses again and you worry that, you know, he's going to knock them down or something. Yeah. Uh, and it's never like to the point that it's, necessarily like giving away the ending but it just reminds you that this man needs his glasses a few times throughout the episode yep
0: yep i think it's really well it's one of the things that's really well done the other thing that that is constantly um indexed are the clocks the clocks everywhere and often a scene will start uh with a shot just a simple shot of a clock and then kind of pull out into the uh onto the broader scene so clocks and glasses
2: do you guys think that uh with the focus on the glasses are they telegraphing the the twist at the end oh yeah abso- or do absolutely. you feel like it do you think it could be a surprise to someone who's never seen it i was surprised but I, but again I i'm like this i'm the with, worst of this i was gonna say i watched this with my
1: wife and uh her reaction when the glasses broke uh he starts to mutter to himself it's not fair and she goes that's not fair why would they do that to him <laughs> uh, it really feels cruel <laughs> yeah um, so I don't think she saw it coming, uh, but she said she'd never, she can't remember ever seeing an episode of the twilight zone. She didn't even really know that, you know, the, it was an anthology and there were always twists or anything. So she wasn't like looking for twists. I bet if someone was going in knowing, you know, our, our kind of cultural recognition of the twilight zone and there's constantly twists and bad luck and those sorts of things, they might be able to see it coming. But for someone who didn't have that, at least my wife didn't catch it coming. So Andrew, you've never seen this one?
2: Uh, I've never watched it. I may have seen clips of it or, or been at least, you know, vaguely aware of it.
1: Right before we were going to record, I asked if he watched it. He just goes, Nope, I don't watch the Twilight Zone. <laughs>
2: <laughs> can't do it anymore. I've tried a few times and, that and I had really a discussion funny. with a friend, uh, just the other day about how I can't watch the Twilight Zone, but I'm, I'm comfortable with, with all sorts of other weird literature and, 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 you know, creepy fiction and American Gothic and those sorts of things. And like, Edgar Allan Poe's fine. And, yeah, I can't and, do Poe. You know, folk tales are fine, but somehow the Twilight Zone just kills me.
0: Poe does that to me. I'm really uh, w- my brother. My brother read uh, followed The House of Usher when he was in high school, and he watched the movie. And he and I watched it with him. That left that was that scarred me for a very long time. Alrighty, well, should we dig into this? Yes. What do you think about uh, Hen- Henry Bemis?
1: Henry V. he's kind of sim- simultaneously, like, you feel bad for him, but you can also tell why others can get annoyed with him. Because some of the things that he's doing aren't really socially acceptable. Like, he shouldn't be reading <laughs> when he's a professional at, at the bank. Right. Uh, he, he shouldn't be reading under the desk. He is doing a bad job at his job because he's so distracted by the reading. Um, but then there's also other moments where he becomes more more likable. Um, like, after the uh, you know, the camera shakes. I mean, the whole world shakes when he's down in the in the bank vault. <laughs> and he comes out. Um, one of the first places he goes is to his home, and he's looking for his wife. Even though he, you know, the image of the marriage that we're given is that he's very henpecked, and you don't feel like there could be a whole lot of joy there. His first concern seems to be for his wife, and he calls out for his wife several times. Yep. And he's in no way relieved that she's dead, you know, in, in, or any of the things that some other versions of the story might have had. So he's interesting, I guess is what I would say.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I kind of feel like the setup it's set up for us to, um, be very worried. Oh, wow. What am I trying to say? Like they want us to think that this is about, Oh, in the future, look at how horrible we'll be as a as a society where we won't let people read. Like it's a, like it's a celebrate uh, uh, celebration of I,
1: reading culture. Or kind of a warning against anti-intellectualism.
0: Yeah. But it's so easy to read it almost the opposite of that. I mean, I feel for his wife. When she says, you've lost the art of conversation, I'm like, you know what, Henry Bemis? You need, to, you need to get things figured out because you should not be reading all the time. You shouldn't be reading while you're at work, and you shouldn't be reading when your wife wants to talk to you. And, I mean, nobody loves reading or watching you know, TV or movies as much as I do. <clears throat> well, maybe they do. Uh,
1: but <laughs> <laughs> I dare say so there are a few who could give you a run. <laughs> I'm sure that they probably could. You have not let this interfere with your ability to, you know, hold down a job, and I imagine there are people who have done that.
0: Yeah. Um, the the conversation that that I've had with students is about um, video games, which I think can, especially in, in today's culture, can sort of take the take the place of this activity, this uh, leisure activity that can really overrun somebody's life so i think that it's interesting because he seems so to me
1: so flawed um, yeah he's a, he, he's the protagonist but he's not like you understand again why others are annoyed with him totally <laughs> yeah but then
0: but then you look at these people who you should uh, i think i would be inclined to feel sympathy for and his boss is a total jerk you are a reader a reader a reader of <laughs> books. It's like, you know, I just don't, I don't really care for his boss and his wife is so cruel to him and, and maybe justifiably so, but, but not justifiably so. I mean, to like take somebody's book of, you know, precious book of poetry and ink out all the pages and rip out all the pages. That's doggerel, doggerel, dog, girl, dog girl. And, uh, I mean, she just, she's, she's tearing apart his soul as she's ripping out these pages and, uh. Can and I just so, say, we need,
1: we need the word doggerel more in our everyday vocabulary. Yeah. <laughs> when, when she was calling it out. <laughs> yes. He's, he's, he's almost crying. It's not doggerel. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's,
0: it's, it's a great word. We need it more. <laughs> yes. Uh, I agree 100%. I just, I don't think there are any really sympathetic characters in this, in this not, in this uh, story. I, I don't, I don't, I don't really sympathize with Harry. I mean, I feel, uh, Henry, I feel horrible at the end when his yes. glasses break, but just because he's a human being and that should not happen to any human being, even if, even if that human being is, as, uh flawed as Henry is.
1: Right. Cause I mean, the, what he's doing is so self-oriented the way he's le- leading his life. Absolutely. And, yeah. I, I mean, you the way other people are reacting to him, you can say his boss is a jerk and his wife treats him horribly, but he is not treating them any better. Right. I mean, I guess maybe his indifference is better than active um, hostility that he receives from them, but he certainly isn't treating, uh, you know, his boss as a responsible employee should, and he's not treating his wife as a loving husband should.
0: Right. I mean, their actions are, um, what would we say? Like justifiable, but not, I mean, I, I, they're completely justified in their frustration with him, uh, but the way that they express it is then not uh, appropriate or
1: justified. Right. Or it's going to lead to him closing down more than it would him changing his actions. Right. And we also don't know how many of these
0: conversations they've had in the past, but it seems like they're both just sort of tired of having to talk to Henry about, listen... You need to be a good employee and not be reading David Copperfield and talking to the clients at the bank about the interesting character names,
1: which, uh, admittedly, Dickens had a flair for naming, <laughs> naming his characters.
0: Murdstone, <laughs> Murdstone. I love the way that he talks. Kind of reminds it really he reminds me of the gra- of the Grandpa in uh, Princess Bride, just slightly. Yeah. He reminds me more of the grandpa and Princess Bride than he does of Mickey and Rocky. Uh, I will say that. <laughs>
2: uh, do you think that the story would be as compelling if he were not flawed? If he weren't, you know, foregoing his responsibilities uh, at like, work and at home? Like if if, if he were... all he wanted to do was stay up late and read and his wife's like, just turn
1: off the lamp and come to bed.
2: Yeah, if, if he was just cutting into his own time instead of cutting into time he owes to others would it be as compelling or would it feel less compelling because it would be so unjust? I
0: think not because um because there is really only one thing for him, right? If he yeah, had a the, if he had the, a balanced the, life,
1: then this wouldn't be as cruel as it is.
0: Right. I mean if he was like, well, some weekends I play golf and then, you know,
1: Right, so, so you're Andrew's asking, You're saying, like, if he was more likable, would we hurt more for him than we do now? But if he was more likable, it also wouldn't be as tragic that the books get pulled away from him. Exactly. The thing that matters most to him, like, the only thing that matters, not what matters most, the, the only thing he wants is the ability to read. So his unlikability actually gives you more empathy for his plight. It makes this particular twist at the end more cruel, I would say.
2: Yeah, I agree. Which is an interesting... Way to do it because normally we would say You're the, right. the least fair things happen to the best people, but in this case, it feels more unfair to him, even though he isn't one of the best people.
1: Yes, yeah, I and agree. It, and I th-
2: it, just the way that you phrase that question and
1: what we've been saying right now, it kind of makes me think of Gollum and the Ring, where you don't like a Gollum, but you still feel pretty bad for him when he loses yeah. the Ring. <laughs> yeah, I
0: agree. It's it's it, that's a that's a really. It's a really great parallel.
1: I like that. All right. Uh, I mean, we already said that this story can easily be read as one that's kind of a a warning against anti-intellectualism. But did you see any other themes, I guess, Todd, in in this particular Twilight Zone episode?
0: Well, like I said earlier, I'm always interested in the glasses and I'm always interested in the clocks. And, um, And there seems to be something of... It seems like Sterling saying something about technology. Um, I think it can be read in different ways. It's it's not because of the way that I think because of the way that he handles these characters and making them all kind of flawed in their own ways. Um, it makes it easier, I think, to read in in uh, to read in different ways.
1: Yeah, um, with, when you said something about technology or clocks, it actually made me think of a Thoreau quote, where Thoreau famously was, you know, an advocate for a simpler life <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Having time to read. Yes, having time to read. But um, he said about technology, we don't ride the railroads, the railroads ride us, meaning that <laughs> like we think the railroads are going to be convenient and ease our lives, but we're going to end up gearing our lives around the railroads. Like we're going to make our, our new schedule be the railroad schedule. It's not actually going to speed up or simplify our lives. It's going to dictate what our lives become. And I think that's, uh, some of what we're seeing with the clock, you know, the emphasis on the clock in his day that he, you know, it's, it's, he's got these hours that he has to do at work. And then when he gets home, he wants to sit and read and relax. But his wife says, no, I've made an appointment. We're going to these people's house at this time. And I need you to be ready at this time. So the clock is, you know, getting emphasized over and over. And then at the finale, when he finally has time enough at last, he's sitting next to a broken clock and, you know, the camera dwells on this broken clock that's right in front of him that when he finally feels he has the time that he needs, it's because the instrument of timekeeping is dead. Right. You know, his life is not going to be controlled by this clock any longer.
0: I mean, I think that, I think that most of us have had that um, sensation that we're racing against a clock. Um, having, when you have little kids and it's bedtime and you're like, just go to bed. Why? <laughs> because I know that at some point I have to go to sleep if I'm going to wake up and be like a functioning human being tomorrow. <laughs> but, but if you go to bed now, then that time could be as much as two hours that I could have to just be a functioning human being tonight and like relax a little bit and read something or read, again read something or watch a movie with my wife or you know
1: do something or have a conversation with my wife that's not interrupted. Right. <laughs> See, I'm totally Henry Bemis. I'm like the kids are in bed. Let's watch something. Let's read. <laughs> oh, the, some, I, I love and adored my children. But there are some days where it becomes a feeling like I'm just trying to make it to bedtime. I just want to make it to bedtime.
0: I feel like that. I feel that way often, if not more often than not. And it's this, it's this kind of desperation when you, when you know that your time is limited, the time that you'll have to do anything is limited, and especially somebody like like me, and I know you uh, as well, who, who loves to have that that time to just relax. Um, and when you don't get it, I mean, when I don't get that, if I, if I go too many nights where I'm racing all day long, and then nighttime comes, and I just crash in, in bed, and then wake up in the morning um, and start the rat race again, if I have to do that more than like two or three days in a row without having some kind of break in the evening, then I become a crazy person.
1: <laughs> well, okay, it reminds me of the, uh, the quote from house on mango street, when she's talking about her dad and you know, the other quote is that he, he wakes up tired to go to work. Right. And if you don't have those, I, I feel like if I don't have those stretches where I can kind of decompress a little, you know, when you wake up, even if you got the right, hours of sleep you just feel tired and kind of dread yeah <laughs> some of what's coming in in that day yeah
0: so i can i i can see the concern with the clock for somebody like bemis who just loves to read and especially um i think reading and reading novels is is different than watching tv or movies and it just takes a long time um if you're going to read a, a big novel, unless you're some phenomenal speed reader, it's, that's a commitment, a big-time commitment to read something long, and you need, you need time
1: i was one of the follow-up questions i have uh for us to prompt some discussion which i'll go ahead and throw it out here is if you had this time like if if you were the sole survivor of a post-apocalyptic world that was destroyed by a hydrogen bomb but there's no remnants of radiation because they weren't really fully right. up on that i guess <laughs> when written uh what would you do with your time
0: i really like the film um i am legend i think i only saw one time but uh I came to the conclusion at some point, in like in the early 2000s, that if the world ends, I just want to be with Will Smith wherever he is because he seems to know what to do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's competent.
0: <laughs> he is very competent in end of the world situations. Um, I don't know. I well, this is not the answer to your this is not the answer to your question, but it's it's what your question made me think of. So when I was a missionary in Spain, uh, I was. Um, miraculously let into somebody's house because you don't ever get to talk to people in their homes uh, when you're a missionary in Spain this guy, his house was full of books and he was uh, some university professor or something and I just wanted to talk to him about anything and I said if you uh, if you were left on a desert island and you could only have you know five books with you or one book with you, what would that one book be? And the guy looked at me and he said, it would be a human being because, because the like the knowledge that could come from that person would be endless, or something like that. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> um, and so, it went watching this um, recently. I thought he like that that one thing. You know what what he really needs is just one other human being that he can talk to. Which I think is one of the things that I like about I Am Legend is that he has the dog, and so he's not completely alone. He also has uh, zombie vampire things that are chasing him around
1: (laughs) (laughs) to keep him company. uh, Tom Hanks had Wilson. You need something. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. Will Smith he sets up the in the he sets up the store with mannequins, and he walks into the store, and he'll have these like kind of conversations with the mannequins. (laughs)
1: Have um, you seen the uh, mm-hmm. the pilot of Last Man on Earth? No, I, it's a comedy. I saw the first couple episodes, and my DVR died, and so I lost all the other ones that I recorded. <laughs> That's <laughs> pretty much what happened to me too. Uh, but in the first episode, like he's he, the premise is he's the last man surviving on Earth, and there's one moment early on where he, he's he's hooked up this gas generator and he's watching castaway and he just starts yelling at the screen. That's so unbelievable. Tom, no one talks to, to, no one would talk to a volleyball like that. And then by the end of the episode, he has all these uh, balls around him with faces. He's like, I'd like to apologize to the producers
2: of Castaway, Mr. Tom Hanks.
1: You, you really nailed it. You need someone to talk to,
2: but it was just a ball with a face. Yeah. He he has like a basketball, a tennis ball, a badminton birdie. He's got, he's got, like a dozen of them and they all have names. But
1: uh with that question of uh <laughs> that let us down the tangent, do? what would you do with all this time? Uh when I was typing that question into our, our script, the first thought I had is I might actually read the wheel of time. <laughs> <laughs> She goes back to what you're saying about reading novels can just take a long time. It and when does. it's a, a series with a dozen or more, I don't know how many it landed on. Everyone recommends that I read the Wheel of Time and I just have not been able to make the mental commitment to yeah. <laughs> to dive into to that many novels because like you said it's it's uh, it, it eats away your time and I have other stacks of books that I'm still trying to read as well.
0: Yeah, it's um I don't know, I think it's a, it's a really interesting question. It's kind of a terrifying it's a terrifying thought for me to be the last person on Earth. Um, there are a f- few things that, if I think about them too much, then I kind of—I don't panic, but I kind of get like the the initial stages of panic, and then I have to get Just my mind a, on something a l- else.
1: A little bit of queasiness in the soul.
0: One is when I'm in very deep water. So, like, if I'm in a lake. On a boat or something, and then I or we used to we used to go to Lake Powell a lot. And when I jump out in the water, like to, to water ski or something, if I think about how much distance there is between me and the bottom of a lake, then I'm like, Whoa, I need to get my mind <laughs> on something else. Um, when I'm flying in an airplane, especially over the ocean then if I think about that for a minute, like I've just strapped myself to this thing. We're going hundreds of miles an hour and (laughs) and there is nothing like one flaw in anything. And it's over.
2: You don't survive that. Um, And, and what if a gremlin gets on the wing? (laughs) Right.
0: Uh, and then, and the other thought for me, that's kind of like, that is the end of the world situation. Like what if I was the only person left? And then I'm like, can't even i can't even think about that because it's just ter- it's kind of a terrifying thought to me
1: this is gonna be ridiculous but uh for me <laughs> when i'm alone in a house sometimes i start to think about velociraptors <laughs> yes and y- yes, i have to walk around and turn on lights i have to i have to go turn <laughs> on all the lights in the house specifically for velociraptors in case, uh, there's a velociraptor because they will learn how to get out of rooms and that is not being <laughs> they can open from- doors
0: that is not being cut from this episode. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, no, I have, uh, legitimately like made myself feel uncomfortable when I'm alone in a house because I started to think about velociraptors.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to, I don't know how I would do in an end of the world situation. I don't think that I would. Is there,
1: is there, is there a book you would want to make sure you had on hand?
0: Well, I'll tell you this. I don't think that I would want to commit suicide. I mean, I don't no, think, that, I, I don't <laughs> think that it's in my nature to
1: like go, you know, do that. Uh, not, but every every narrative that we have about loneliness, when they are, and it, I, this is one of the other things I think is in there, solitude versus loneliness. He's always seeking solitude, but it's when he finally realizes that he's suffering from loneliness, that's when he, you know, considers committing suicide. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, all of, it, it seems like most of these narratives about, you know, the lone survivors, they have moments where they question, should I keep on going? Right. And I don't, I mean who's no one's been the last man on earth. <laughs> so <laughs> this is all speculative. That's true. But it seems like most people who are speculating, uh, reach the point in the narrative where they feel like the, the characters that they're writing are going to say, this just isn't worth it anymore.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I um, what was I going to say? It was going to be good. Hang on. It's coming. It's coming.
1: Bring it on. Come on. Stay on target. And, all right. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> uh, I totally lost it. Sorry. Ah, Trying to thought out. Uh, oh, no. This,
0: this was this was, it. I was going to ask you the question. Um, what do you think is the difference between solitude and loneliness?
1: I think solitude is something that you seek out, but you know it is going to, it, it's like a choice. Like you seek out solitude so that you can go, you know, think deep thoughts or, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just made me think of a Fraser quote. <laughs> where is about to lose in his apartment uh, his study, and he says, he says something along the lines, like, where am I going to do my deep thinking and read the great books? And his dad yells, do it on the can like the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but solitude is, you know, I, I think it's something you seek out for a purpose and you know that when the purpose is done, you're going to leave the solitude. It's like, it, it's, it's temporary. Like the finite is, is part of our quest for solitude. And the loneliness that we see in these are the loneliness that, um, sometimes uh, even in crowded spaces, you see characters endure in movies, you know, where they're alone because no one's interacting with them. That's not by choice and it's not finite. And they're questioning when is this loneliness going to come to an end?
0: Yeah. I, I think that that's a, uh... I like that summary. I've talked before about that um, I really like film noir. And one of the things that that to me characterizes many characters in film noir is this uh, utter loneliness, despite the fact that they all live in big cities. I mean, they almost all live in a big city and they're just completely alone or like isolated. Until she
1: walked through the door.
0: Right. And then, (laughs) uh, but what does she, but what does she represent? She represents the possibility of the the end of that loneliness. And then why is the end so tragic? Because it's all a sham.
1: Yeah. Um, talking about this loneliness, it's interesting to me that when, uh, now I just want to say Burgess Meredith, what's the character's name? Bemis. When Bemis is considering suicide because he's, he's suffering from loneliness, not solitude he sees the library and he sees the books and he doesn't call them out by titles of the books. He calls them by the authors. He says it's, yeah. it's Shakespeare. It's Dickens. It's, uh, George, a lot of the, of the literary canon. Uh, but he's calling them by, by that name, which I think is, you know, part of his escape is that he's seeing these books as people that he's going to, to spend time with, not as, um, you know, just the, the, the distractions of an object
0: yeah it's interesting to note that his um his desperation at the end he says if it if it weren't for the loneliness, if it weren't for the sameness if there were only something to do 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 and you'd think this is what I would hope if I were in this kind of situation is that my mind would start to think about things that I
1: actually could do like you um, if- I would want to go full Swiss Family Robinson and build the coolest treehouse yes. in history,
2: or something. Yes, build exactly just- <laughs> what you want.
1: Right. I mean, and if it, if you keep messing up, don't worry. There's no one judging right. you, and there's going to be another rest- day where you can go fix that. Right. Weekend, right. That rope bridge that broke. Yeah, I'll fix it later once my broken leg heals. Yeah, once my broken leg heals. But it seems
0: like it. I mean, it's not an. It's not. It's a desolate world, but it's certainly not an empty world that he's in. There's tons of stuff around. I mean, he gets oh, in I the car and he tries to, to start it, but to like the set
1: designers. Yeah, I agree. Hey, this is clearly a soundstage. Like the, you know, it's a scrim in the background providing the sky. Like you're not fully in with that, but they did a great job of laying of all the interesting foreground and uh, you know the the terrain that he has to traverse in these. They did a very good job of making it just visually arresting and
2: interesting. Yeah, I just how. How long was he alone before he settled on the books? It doesn't... It doesn't seem like more than... It doesn't seem like more
0: than
1: two days. A few days. Yeah, you see him go to sleep once. Uh, I think Rod Serling does a a mid-episode monologue. Yeah, he does. And he calls it eight (laughs) hours. Um, An eight-hour tour. Yes.
2: But so, so in this case, but that's it's before a, he falls asleep or anything. So. It's, it's a very short time from, he, he grows no new facial hair in <laughs> this time. <Yeah. laughs> like our visual marker of time passage doesn't happen for him. Yeah. So in, in some modern examples, like you said, uh, the last man on earth, it, it starts out two years after everyone's been gone and, and cast away spans three, four years. He yeah. grows a big beard. <laughs> don't know how long it takes. I've never grown a beard that full in my life. <laughs>
0: Really, that's surprising to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you can cut this out if you want, but um, when I was in high school, I tried. <laughs> there was a time when my parents left, and I thought, "I'm gonna grow. I'm gonna grow some facial hair out." <laughs> and I let I let it grow. I was probably a junior or senior in high school. I let it I let it grow for like a week, and nobody said anything. And I was like, this is stupid. I'm never doing this again.
1: Uh, when, uh, <laughs> I, uh, this fall, I, I let myself go for a few weeks and, and let the beard grow. And then I, I shaved off the beard and left the mustache. And then oh my, my wife made, made me cut it off. And I said, you just need to give it a little more time. So it will be more full. And she said, no, it's full and it's disgusting. <laughs> It's, there's no way this is going to improve. Just, just get it off. That's funny. Alrighty, righty. Well, um, oh, I, I wanted to say um, I was thinking if they updated this, uh, it would in some ways it would be easier because you could just have the tragedy be that the battery runs out on your Kindle. Yes. <laughs> oh. and, and that's I it. Pe- <laughs> I think that I was reading somewhere
0: that there's an episode of Modern Family where that's a parody of this, where it, like Phil's. Um, like drops his kindle or something and or his iPad, and the screen breaks, and he's like, "No, it's not fair, it's not fair <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, I think that there are lots of i uh, this is a story that you can think about for for a long time and in different ways but uh but i real i i really really enjoy it, um even though it always makes me a little bit sad at the end even though yeah. I don't really care about this character. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and I, I mean, I watched the episode and I jotted down a few questions to kind of prompt discussion, but I, we, we've, we've come up with a few things that I, I did not, I hadn't thought of before just based on the way our conversation has gone. And it, I can tell I'm going to be thinking about, uh, Bemis <laughs> now, uh, a lot more than I did before. And I could, he's going to be a t- uh, one of those touch points for our conversations where it's like, you I know, agree. we were talking about Bemis. <laughs> I agree it's it's
0: like it's the one it's it it's what what he says when he says the loneliness it's the sameness i think it's the sameness about him the fact that he's so one-dimensional there's only one thing that he cares about he only has one motivation you take that one thing away from him he's left with nothing and that's why it feels so cruel to him whereas if we had a character who's more multifaceted who has other interests
1: they might really swiss family robinson this loneliness (laughs) i just right. I'm turning this desert, you know, this, this wasteland into, uh, you know, a, this glorious structure that I built with my own hands. How did they do that in Swiss Family Robinson? I mean, that thing was intense. It uh, was so cool. I
0: don't know, but I think we should add Swiss Family Robinson to our list. Cause it's <laughs> Obviously, really they, they ride great. on
1: ostriches at one point. That's all I remember. An is ostrich they had, and a zebra. They, they rode on ostriches, and they had a really awesome
2: house. That's oh, basically that my memory is, of it. That film
0: they, is so good. I've watched that a million times as a and kid. And there are pirates,
2: aren't there? There are
1: pirates, too. Oh, yeah. Yes. yes
2: but they like they like run they set up running water through bamboo to create a refrigerator yeah out of, out of bamboo and leaves i don't remember that part oh, <laughs> they, they have like cool. like a like a cold box
0: yeah i, it's really I could good. do
1: that i could yeah Be- because it's just the running water yeah yeah i could totally invent that if i was the last man on earth <laughs> They did it in, like, a week, too. They did it really fast. And it had tears. It was like the Ewok Village, wasn't it?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. No,
1: it's fantastic. It's That's a really great movie. Um, All right. Well, future reference point. We'll, we'll <laughs> touch on that. Uh, anything that uh, you wanted to, t- to add at the end of our discussion here, Todd? No, I
0: just am happy that we did this
1: one because it's one of my favorites.
2: All right. Wait, wait, wait. Do you guys think he was, in fact, the last person? Or did he just sort of accept it? Uh, I think he was the last person that he would ever
1: encounter in his lifetime. I agree with that. I don't think he was the last person alive on Earth. Yeah, okay. I, someone I dropped agree. that hydrogen bomb, unless this was just a terrible accident.
2: <laughs> which mutual
1: destruction? <laughs> st- 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 <laughs> <laughs> which did you know? Uh, during the Cold War, a plane accidentally dropped an atomic bomb on North Carolina, and it no. didn't go off. <laughs> what are this you happened? serious i am serious an american plane accidentally oh. dropped an atomic bomb on north carolina wow and uh it did not detonate because it, it was not armed when it dropped
2: but it fell from the plane i'm not surprised they don't <laughs> I, talk about it much i somebody, imagine somebody
0: riding it <laughs>
1: <laughs> like Ken's yelling like a cowboy Strange. Like uh, but just imagine you're you're in that plane <laughs> <laughs> Do you hear a thunk in the back? Oh, uh, my gosh. Bill, Bill, go check on that. <laughs> hey, did, did we have four bombs or, or five? <laughs> uh, we, better, we better radio in. <laughs> radio, oh, you radio right in. God. I don't want to radio in. You radio, let's just see how long this gas lasts. <laughs> if, we, if we see a flash, we'll just ride until we're out of gas and we'll land. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I will uh, try and remember to put a link to the to a story about that in the uh, the show notes. That's a Thanks. fine idea. Um,
0: <laughs> I feel like I feel like maybe we've uh, we've run
1: our course with this story. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it was related the hydrogen bomb. All right. Yes. Well, that wraps up this episode. So thank you for joining us on somewhat of a meandering conversation towards the end. And remember that you can subscribe to The Protagonist on iTunes, and please leave us a review there. We got a new review. It was a delightful read. Thank you for our new review. Uh, it does help out our uh, little podcast and help others to be able to find it. And you can find links to things we've talked about in this episode and also a list of all of our shows at protagonistpodcast.com. And you can follow us, all of us, on Twitter. Uh, you can follow at pod or at Todd K. mac at Jaderowski Dorowski or at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And please like our Facebook fan page called protagonist podcast. We love any comments, corrections, any feedback at all. You can also email us at feedback at dot podcast.com. And. You know you want to. You can, in fact, become a patron of the Protagonist Podcast. If you just go click on the support button at protagonistpodcast.com, you can set up a Patreon account where you can donate any amount per month. It'll just automatically just be a little payment. One dollar appreciate, but you can slap as many zeros as you like after that. And thank you again for listening. And we'll be back again next week to discuss another great story, another great character, and a great story. So long. So long. I'm trying to ensure that it gets cut. But <laughs> now giving you something for the tag at the by end. Which, by which you are only sealing your fate.
0: <laughs> it's going to be in there somehow. <laughs>